0: This podcast uses adult language and discusses sensitive and potential triggering topics, including violence, abuse, and murder. This podcast may not be appropriate for younger audiences. All parties are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Some names have been changed or omitted per their request or for safety purposes. Listener discretion is advised. Hola, my beautiful humans. This is Jasmine Castillo and I bring stories and cases from the people of color community, bringing awareness of murdered and missing indigenous women, girls, two spirits, the LGBTQ community, Asian American Pacific Islander, black indigenous people of color. These are their stories. So welcome to hands off my podcast. Jasmine Flowers resided with her mother, as well as her step-parent, in a somewhat tumultuous area of Milwaukee, Wisconsin called the River West in 1989. Her life didn't even begin, but at the age of nine years old, it took a painful turn and continued to spiral down into drugs, alcohol, foster care, and later on in her teen years, a runaway. This is Jasmine's story. River West is located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, primarily a residential neighborhood that was wedged between Milwaukee River and East Holton Street and ran south to Brewers Hills, Williamsburg Heights, Harambee neighborhood. River West was a place of many festivals, an annual bike race, local bands, even the largest walking tour, River West Art Walk as well as neighborhood parties here and there. Even though this was a place where you could raise your family, it also had problems in the 1980s and 90s. There was a high percentage of crime involving drugs, gangs, prostitution, and violence. Even compared to 2020, on top of the deadly pandemic and the rising tension between public and police, Milwaukee has been tormented by homicide rates not seen in a city since the crack epidemic of the 1990s. Jasmine's parents, Kim and Ken, were married soon after graduating from Rufus King High School in 1975. Both parents traveled the world after they enrolled into the Air Force around the same time. And because of that, Jasmine was born overseas in Japan in December of 1977. Unfortunately, 1979, her parents divorced when she was two years old because of the domestic abuse and mental instability from Ken. After the divorce, Kim continued to travel with Jasmine back and forth from the States to the UK until 1984. Jasmine and her mother came back from overseas while visiting Jasmine's maternal grandmother, Mary in Milwaukee. She was able to be reintroduced to her absent father of seven years for the first time. Unfortunately, that night turned into something that Jasmine struggled for the rest of her life. Her father had begun to sexually molest her, molested her underneath the roof of his own mother's home. And Jasmine believed that this was what fathers do to their daughters when they spend time. Jasmine and her mother once again left Wisconsin and traveled back to England to stay for another four years without telling us so of the encounter. In 1984, Jasmine and Kim lived in England during that time. Her mother married her second husband, Greg, living outside of Upper Hayford, England. And this is where the physical and emotional abuse began. Fortunately, Kim did divorce her husband, Greg, and four years of living overseas, traveled back to Wisconsin to build her life up again after the divorce. Kim decided to live with her mother, Isabel. In 1989, the abuse started once Jasmine arrived at her abuela's house, constant blame and banning the child from doing anything in the home because of her race. Unfortunately, staying with Kim's mother was short-lived because Jasmine was expressing her anger and curiosity by rebelling to the behavior from Obwala, And because of an incident that was created by Jasmine, Kim and her daughter had to move out within a few months. Once Kim found her place in the River West Milwaukee, emotional and physical abuse started again. Kim was angry at her daughter for not respecting the home and took it out on her. Kim found a nice duplex off of Bremen and Wright, located in River West, Milwaukee, and started dating again with another man named John. Kim did a lot of traveling and was constantly absent from home, spending time with John in Missouri, traveling on vacation, partying, or military boot camp on the weekends. During this time, Jasmine became a latchkey kid, preparing her meals, completing her homework, from chores to property maintenance. John and Kim finally decided to get married and moved in quickly after. Of course, everything is perfect at the beginning of a marriage. Some marriages succeed and flourish, become strong together in all the positive ways a marriage couple should be. However, it became twice as much physical emotion abuse towards Jasmine. During home visits by John's son, His son also took advantage, began to sexually assault Jasmine. Jasmine started to shift her behavior even more that it started to affect her attitude and grades in school. In court documents from the year of 1991, it was identified that Jasmine was suspended from school because of verbal altercation with the teacher and was suspended for three days. School usually contacts the first person, which is the mother or father, or at least a guardian. So that evening, in the middle of the night, Jasmine reported that her mother and John stormed through her bedroom waking her up. Mom was holding a wooden spoon, preparing to punish her for not informing her of the suspension. As Jasmine recalls that this has happened multiple times, either with whatever is lying around, she says. It became such a constant thing that Jasmine was immune to the abuse from her mother. But that evening took a horrible turn when the stepfather, John, noticed that Jasmine was not reacting to the pain being inflicted upon her. And John reached for the nearest object, an oak ruler with a plated gold siding, and began to slash marks on her legs and on her right arm, which was a defensive wound. Jasmine returned to school after the suspension of three days. The teacher identified that Jasmine was not acting like herself and requested a school counselor to set her aside. Jasmine finally opened up to the school counselor and revealed the slash long marks running down both legs and an arm and a bruised fingerprint on her left forearm. Where the stepfather was holding her while whipping at the same time. Law enforcement was called to the school to take the child downtown for physical abuse report, pictures, and to charge John with child abuse. According to Wisconsin statute, unless the child otherwise requests the guardian ad litem, shall communicate to the court the wishes of the child as to the child's legal custody or physical placement has a law that says any child over the age of 12 during a family or domestic violence situation, the child can choose to live outside of the home. Jasmine chose to live with her father, Ken, who was the only person that she knew at the time. There was no one else in the family that she could turn to in this situation. So in 1991, Ken came along with her dog named Lad and headed back to Minneapolis, Minnesota. Ken recently purchased a complex. During her time, she lived by herself in one of the four apartments, yet later moved in the same apartment with her father. Susan, a soon-to-be sister-in-law, was also currently living in the apartments adjacent to Jasmine and Ken. Jasmine recalls that when her dad got extremely angry, he would throw the dog across the apartment, hitting a wall. And also during this time, Ken picked up where he left off by sexually molesting her again and again and again. She became extremely distant and began to show signs of delinquency in school. From reports from Jasmine, her father was the first person that taught her how to drink by playing a game, flip a coin in a cup and because of the sexual molestation at home and the lack of guidance of the father jasmine began experimenting with drugs alcohol and sex with other kids at school at the age of 12 as time went by susan moved out of the apartment along with her dog abruptly leaving her behind with her father as recalled by court records jasmine stated that once Susan moved out. She began to start visiting Susan at her new apartment. One evening after visiting with Susan, Jasmine was showing signs that she did not want to go home and finally told Susan that her father was raping her. Susan also informed Jasmine that was the reason why she left, because he was doing it to her as well. And she said, quote, I would never have thought he would do it to his own daughter, unquote. Susan was hesitant in taking her back home, but unfortunately, she did. And the following morning, Susan did go back to the apartment, but waited for Ken to leave before she approached the door. Susan knocked on the door and Jasmine answered. As soon as Jasmine opened the door, Susan quickly pleaded to have her grab her things and to get her out of that apartment immediately. Jasmine quietly stated to Susan that he did it again once she arrived that night before. Susan then asked her one question, did you take a shower? Jasmine answered no. And so Susan helped Jasmine grab her belongings and headed to the hospital to have a rape kit done. Hours later after the rape kit was complete, Law enforcement quickly picked up Ken and brought him to the station to prepare for charging him of sexual abuse to a child. When the law enforcement went back to the apartments to collect evidence and take pictures, they were quoted in reports that the house was unlivable because of the uncleanliness and unkeptness of the home. The only room that was pristine was Jasmine's. Law enforcement noticed that she had padlocks in the inside of her bedroom door. When the police officer asked Jasmine what the padlocks were for, she said, to keep my daddy out of my room. He was my daddy, but he wasn't at the same time. His face was different and his voice changed to a low, growling, evil voice, almost demonic. One time I asked him, during the moment that he was on top of me, why are you doing this to me, daddy? The voice that came out of my daddy's mouth said, your daddy is not here. Ken was later reevaluated because he was also evaluated in the military and was dishonorably discharged because of his clinical paranoia, schizophrenic, and personality disorders, which were never medicated to control his imbalance. Jasmine went back to her mother's during the time of the trials and the court hearings. Ken continuously dismissed his attorneys to the point of rescheduling court hearings for the next three years. Kim was beside herself and did not know how to handle this new situation with her daughter and the constant back and forth between Wisconsin and Minnesota. Ken's new wife, Karen, bailed him out of jail, believing that Kim was behind placing thoughts in Jasmine's mind to accuse her own father of the things that were done. Even though the results from the rape kit proved the DNA was a match to Ken. Karen constantly berated Susan and Jasmine, calling them insulting and demeaning names because Susan was the one that reported this molestation to the police. Because Kim was having problems with Jasmine, two family members stepped in. Patty and Keith, the brother and sister of Ken, took temporary custody of Jasmine off and on for the next two years. Between postponing court dates, charges against Ken, Kim was finally able to get Jasmine back home, just for a moment. However, the emotional abuse continued in the home with the mother and the stepfather against Jasmine to the point that she had ran away in July ninth, 1993. Mother reported Jasmine missing after 72 hours with the 5th District Police Department. Kim found Jasmine's diary and used it as evidence for law enforcement to track down her whereabouts during the time of her missing as a runaway. Kim kept track of whether Jasmine called home each day until she voluntarily returned home on July 15, 1993. Unfortunately, around this time, Jasmine's mother signed her parental rights to the state of Wisconsin, in placing Jasmine in a CHIPS program that would send her off to treatment centers, group homes, foster placements. Once Jasmine arrived to Children's Adolescent Treatment Center located in Watertown, Wisconsin, she and another resident escaped at the time while they were being escorted between two buildings on the grounds. Jasmine later reported once she was found by law enforcement five days after she was living in an abandoned drug house. She had lost track of the other girl that ran away with her at the time. Law enforcement also identified that they just pulled out a body of a girl from the dumpsters behind the same block radius. She was also a runaway the same time Jasmine went missing. During the time in the fostering system, in May of 1994, Jasmine was removed from St. Rose Residential Group Home pending a jury trial set for June of 1994 on the incident that she had allegedly pulled a knife on a staff and was currently waiting at a detention on the results whether she would be placed in juvenile correctional facility called Lincoln Hill or to be transported outside of Milwaukee County for further treatment. You're probably thinking to yourself, I never saw her on the news or heard her name come across the screen. Well, that girl was me. like many people of color that go missing or run away or murdered like the girl that was found in the dumpster behind the drug house that I stayed what happened to Ken flowers in the end was he ever charged for sexual molestation against me well the answer will probably shock you but no he still walks around free today there is a breakdown in family my family of many the shaky family Foundation based on generational trauma, young boys and girls are taught to accept this trauma, emotional, physical, and sexual abuse, to not tell anyone outside of the family circle when one of the family members is the person inflicting this abuse towards another person. These boys and girls become parents and raise children of their own. They are now conditioned to ignore the signs of abuse even with their own children, towards their own siblings. Out of all the women in my Flowers family, some or all saw or experienced some level of abuse, and the family turned a blind eye. This is what happened on the situation with my father. His own mother saw the signs, knew he had these evil urges raging in him, and yet turned the blind eye when he inflicted his chaos onto his siblings, his daughter, and many unknown counts of other women. One in five women in the United States experienced completed or attempted rape during their lifetime. Nationwide, 81% of women and 43% of men reported experiencing some form of sexual harassment and or assault in their lifetime. It is estimated that over 734,000 people were raped, including threatened, attempted, or completed rape. In the US in 2018, 40% of rapes and sexual assaults were reported to police in 2017, but only 25 were reported to police in 2018. The prevalence of false reporting of sexual assault crimes is low, between 2% and 10%. Over half, 52.4% of male victims report being raped by an acquaintance and 15.1% by a stranger. The estimated lifetime cost of rape is $122,461 per victim. My bill over the course of two years was over 42000 by the time I left Eau Claire Academy in 1995. 31 years. I'm still working on my healing journey, and I've noticed that there was a consistent theme of people's thoughts when someone goes missing or gets murdered or whatever the case may. Either they are a runaway, a sex worker, drug, alcoholic, addicts, or recovery. That is the reason why I started this podcast. I want to make this a safe space for people of color, all walks of life, no matter the circumstances, because this is someone's baby. This is someone's child, someone's sister, brother, friend, loved one. In the podcast world, in 2022, it has been estimated That there is 750,000 other podcasts. If I can take 30 minutes of your time to talk about their loved ones, damn it, I'm going to do it. It's time to know that the two minutes on the news is not enough to give them their respect and honor and the awareness. Your loved ones need the recognition and the respect. If you see something, say something, you might be able to save a life. And Susan, if you're out there listening, I will be forever grateful because you saved me. Thank you. If you or a loved one is experiencing domestic violence, please contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline, 800-799-7233. Or if you are a victim of sexual assault, please contact National Sexual Assault Hotline, 1-800-656-4673. National Resources for Sexual Assault Survivors and Their Loved Ones, also acronym, R-A-I-N-N. They also provide Asian, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander Survivors Resource Center from Domestic Violence for Tracking and Gender-Based Violence in Asian and Pacific Islanders communities, also under RAIN, for Black survivors, called National Center on Violence Against Women in the Black Community, responds to end domestic sexual and community violence in the black community through research public awareness community engagement and resource development for more information i've identified these in the show notes thank you for listening to hands off my podcast if you are enjoying the podcast and you'd like to support the mission I do have a Patreon membership that will help the cause and bring more detail on cases and stories from the People of Color community. If you yourself has a lost loved one, or a story suggestion, please don't hesitate to contact me at email, handsoffmypodcast at gmail.com, and if you are only able to support in another way, please give this podcast a 5-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And continue to listen to upcoming episodes every Thursday, wherever you listen to your podcast. Dios te Vega